It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. This is Sarah Holland from the left and Beth Silvers from the right. Thank you for joining us for The Briefcase, our special Friday episode of Pantsuit Politics, where we briefly update you on a few news items and share feedback from our listeners. We'd also like to take a minute before we get started and ask everyone to sign up for our email list. Beth sent out a very special bonus essay this week um, in which she called herself a woman from nowhere. And if you missed that, you got to sign up for the email list to get that special um, content. It's pinned at the top or how to sign up is pinned at the top of our Facebook and Twitter pages. Please also rate and review us on iTunes. Reviews are actually really what helps push us up in the ratings so that more people 
confined pantsuit politics. We really want to break through that top 150 so that we add more awesome listeners to our nuanced community. And also, if you don't mind checking out our new website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, where you can become a supporter of the show through a regular monthly donation, just like the cost of a cup of coffee or to make a one-time donation. Um, and we really, really appreciate, appreciate everyone who has been donating. And um, as a little sneak peek, we've got T-shirts coming your way if you guys are interested in pre-ordering, so get excited. So today there is a lot to cover in a short amount of time, and we'll do our best. Um, we're going to start with some listener feedback, then we'll talk about the state of the race right now. Um, a lot has happened. We had Super Tuesday contests since our last episode. We have a Republican debate coming up tonight, more contests this weekend, so a lot to say there. Um, we're going to spend a little bit more time on the Supreme Court hearing the Texas abortion case. I'm going to note another incident of gun violence, sadly, and then talk a little bit about international news that's kind of gotten lost in the news cycle because of all the presidential race issues going on. Yeah. In other, in other words, we just want to acknowledge that things are happening outside Donald Trump's brain. Just, just a quick acknowledgement. Only here at Pantsy Politics. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So we'll start with Friday feedback, as we always do. Um, Lauren, one of our listeners, uh, sent a really thoughtful email um, and asked if, sort of talked about my my notes from the last show about how I thought it was sort of two steps forward and one step back in our process. And she asked if I thought, well, she pointed out that that's a very sort of privileged position, that there's a lot at stake for people um, to say, you know, just wait your turn sort of. And I just want to clarify that that's definitely not what I was implying. Um, If I did, I apologize. I think that um, societal change is slow coming. Uh, as far as instant, she asked if the Supreme Court was the, essentially the only way to bring about sort of instant needed change. I know Supreme Court decisions feel instant, but they're not actually even that instant anyway. It takes a long time to get to the Supreme Court. But um, I guess I, my thought is always, yes, it takes a long time because I don't want it. I don't want sort of change I disagree with happening quickly. So I'm willing to accept the change I do want to happen happening slowly, if that makes sense. So. You know, I can't just say, you know, um, the political changes I agree with should happen instantaneously because that also means the political changes I don't disagree with would happen instantaneously too. And while I never want to imply, you know, especially as a woman that, they, you know, everybody's just got to sit down and it takes a long time. I actually think our society is changing pretty quickly. And I think in particular um, LGBT community has seen really a monumental shift just from when, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, things are changing really rapidly. Um, but the funny thing is, and Beth and I were just talking about this, is that I also just had an email that said, we we have emails that say, you know, you, I've had an email probably within the last week, you don't talk about race enough, and you talk about race too much, and it's really about income inequality. And here's the thing I think about a lot. It's my new favorite word, which is paradox. Um, They're both true, right? I think in so many things with regards to politics, with regards to life, both things are true. One of my favorite uh, writers, Gretchen Rubin of The Happiness Project, talks about the paradoxes of happiness, that you you both have to know yourself, but also challenge yourself to change, to be happy. And I think um, in politics, we, we think we have to double down and one side is right and one side is wrong, but really both things are true. We don't pay enough attention to race. It's a whole different thing than income inequality. But also income inequality affects 
minority groups and it's an incredibly important part of the puzzle. So I guess my, my response is sort of to point to my new favorite word, which is paradox. You're both right. You're, I think, I think both points are really important. That is a good way to sum up something that I've been chewing on since our last episode, which is that we have several times pointed to how quickly things, especially around LGBT issues, have changed, and that giving rise to some of the Trump authoritarian sentiment. And I was thinking after our last episode, gosh, you know, that has to be such a frustrating thing to hear for people in that community. And and it, and rightfully so, since people have identified in those ways since the beginning of time, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like suddenly we have gay people and, oh, we quickly recognize their rights to get married. You know, that that's just not true. Um, so I think paradox is a great summary of for, for certain, uh, stakeholders, I guess, in our cultural fabric, it does feel very quick. Mm -hmm. And for others, it feels painfully slow and, and both things are, are true to those experiences. Yeah. Well, and I think that with regards to the the pace of societal change and the um, carefulness with which we talk about it, there's another thing that I've sort of been thinking about with regards to Donald Trump in particular because of a very ugly episode that happened on video at the rally in our home state of Kentucky. Beth, did you see this video? I did see it. Um, an African-American woman was um, protesting at the rally and she was physically assaulted and shoved and pushed and screamed at in really the most disgusting manner. Um, I feel like recently when I hear people talk about Donald Trump and I heard this sort of undercurrent when his son was on the circus and he said, well, he's not politically correct. You can't be politically correct when you're talking about the truth. And I think that politically correct has become almost a code word for the, for the politically incorrect stance of being racist. And I am trying desperately to keep my nuance here, but I really feel like a lot of times... This is coded for, well, this is how people really are, and he just says it. Mexicans really are rapists trying to get over this wall we want to build. And, you know, he, Donald Trump once posted a very, very, very false and, and perpetuating negative violent stereotypes about the black community. And I just, that episode sort of sent me, and I'm not saying there can't be a discussion about that, but when it becomes code for we get to say racist things and pass them off as authentic and there gets to be racist behavior and assaults on people because everybody's just so angry and we're getting we're being given permission to be angry something has to stop that's a good segue i think to uh feedback that we got from both kate and kyle um, so Kyle wrote us this great email. He's a big Hillary Clinton supporter. And I, I feel like you're going to, you know, you probably loved every word of his messages, Sarah. Um, but he he talked about thinking that the coverage of Trump's um, statements regarding David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan have been overblown a little bit. And I think that I agree with him in that. 
um, I think Trump probably did have trouble hearing or was distracted or wasn't having his best day because he has in the past distanced himself from David Duke. I, I don't want to use the word disavow because I'm so tired of hearing it. But but I think that is his position. More troubling to me, so, so I agree with Kyle, in some ways, when the media makes a giant deal about something like that, it just fuels the fire of the mm-hmm. people supporting him, right? There's this, this odd, um, again, paradox, both victim and bully mentality. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's going on. I think uh, a message that we got from Kate marries into that discussion because she's talking about just really being concerned and afraid of the climate that our mm-hmm. country will uh, experience in a Trump administration. And I share that fear because I think that we could sit here all day and talk about whether Donald Trump himself is racist or not, or whether he is sexist or not. Um, I think that what's most troubling is what happens at these rallies and the climate of bullying and intimidation because Trump not only doesn't say, Hey, don't pick on people. He says things about how he wishes he could punch Punch protesters in the face. He says horrible things about journalists. Mm -hmm. I know everybody thinks that's funny and he's just telling it like it is, but it is having real world consequences already. And I can't imagine what happens if he's actually our president. Yeah, it's just, it's so concerning to me. We, you know, Brent, not to go Brene Brown, but Brene Brown has this really great moment in Daring Greatly. No, I'm sorry, Rising Strong, where she talks about, she has this sort of idea that you have, um, it's, it's called a shitty first draft. It's sort of the story you tell yourself about your reality. And, you know, she kind of gives you permission to just, Dive in. Just be open. Don't censor yourself. Write that shitty first draft. Just spill out your subconscious. Like, just get it all out there. And then she makes clear, though, this is not a tool to beat somebody over the head with. There's this very difficult line to walk between being self-aware enough to say how I feel is important, how I feel is relevant, but how you feel is not always reality. Just because an entire group of people or a certain group of people or supporters or even Donald Trump himself feel angry that things are going a certain way or frustrated at their circumstances doesn't mean that your perceptions and emotions constitute the entire reality of the situation. That's what nuance is all about is saying, this is how I feel. What else is going on here? Because when we just dive in, when we accept the shitty first draft and it's us versus them and we have the right to shove and lay hands on people and disrespect people and just give ourselves permission to be nasty, it's going no place good quickly. And, you know, I think that the problem is, and that where we're at right now as a country, is how are we going to people who are frustrated by the situation with Donald Trump and frustrated by these just such so ugly racist situations at the rallies respond without perpetuating it. How do I say this is unacceptable without, you know, being disrespectful myself? And, but it's such a hard line because I also want to, I want to come down firmly and say, that's disgusting. That cannot happen without, 
you know, I said being a part of this sort of culture, cultural problem myself, I, it's really hard. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Well, it's, I think it starts on a small scale. So, and you talked about this before too. We have to conduct ourselves in a nuanced way as individuals before we can expect it from our institutions. So I think about um, an easy example is Twitter. You know, occasionally, not very often, but occasionally we get some, some difficult 
Twitter messages from people who don't follow us and, you know, aren't part of sort of the community around our podcast. And we debate, like sometimes we'll text each other, like, do we respond to this or not? What do we do? Mm -hmm. And I think that we always try on an individual level to, if we respond, which we usually do, to respond in a way that is firm, but fair and respectful of the person. And we always remember, or at least always try to remember that it is a person, you know, Mm -hmm. there is a human being sending that message to us. We do not take the tactic of counter shame, which I see a lot of journalists engage in. I understand that those people get volumes and volumes and that there's a point, like I have compassion for that too. But a lot of those journalists, you know, start retweeting what people have sent. And it just, I think it fuels the person who sent something ugly. It certainly doesn't move anyone. So I know that it's hard to make the leap from, Uh, treating individuals with dignity on the small scale to figuring out what in the world we do about the ugliness that is happening around the Trump movement. But I don't know another way. Yeah. It's just, it's so hard. It's so hard not to be. Uh, Yeah, I'm struggling. I'm struggling because I, I, when someone says, if you treat if you treat another human being as awfully as those people treated that woman at that rally, why would they deserve to be treated any differently? And there's a part of me that understands that argument. I mean, who want, but at the same time, I just don't, I think that's a vicious, that's a spiral that we might not ever get out of. Well, and that's why no one can get in front of Trump in the race right now, I think, because the responses to the Trump movement are so hateful it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's hateful on both sides at this point. It's if you support Trump, you're an idiot or an idiot or you are racist or whatever. Or, you know, from from Democrats, well, Republicans are reaping what they sowed. You guys have been racist forever, which is historically false. One. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, a really unfair characterization of people in the party. You and I were laughing because we got a note saying, <laughs> I'd like to hear you guys really, you know, harshly disagree about something. And we're sort of racking our brains about the tech exchange was really funny it was like okay what about no i'm sorry i yeah no okay what about this no no that's not a deal break i mean it was pretty funny well so we went to what are our deal breakers right like what where can i absolutely not vote for someone and and i i was thinking about that the only litmus test that i have actually applied is racism the only time that i have voted against someone whom i otherwise agreed with on policy um, for and and so I voted against that person and for someone I adamantly disagree with on policy is because the Republican incumb- incumbent congressman on the ballot had made some racist remarks. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I cannot accept that. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Now, that person won the race anyway, but I made my protest vote um, for someone who was like just couldn't be farther from where I am on what the role of government is and how we should actually govern. But I just felt like you you cannot serve in Congress today in 2016 and and be so insensitive to other humans. Yeah, that's my I mean, that's my deal breaker is any sort of racism, um, discrimination against the LGBT community or what I would feel is sort of is blatant sexism. Um with regards particularly to reproductive rights. I don't, I, I don't mind, you know, I have friends that are pro-life, but my thing is if you're going to, if you're going to work actively to make it illegal, then we might have an issue. But otherwise, I mean, there's really, there's not much 
that we, I mean, there's not much that I wouldn't, everything else is sort of up for debate and it's not a deal breaker for me. I feel like, and we, I feel like the only way forward out of this hot mess we found ourselves in right now is both sides to, to acknowledge, like, I would vote for somebody on the other side if they lined up with these principles, as opposed to, well, Donald Trump is disgusting, but I'll only vote Republican. Oh, come on. Can't we, can we talk about that? Can we please talk about that? Well, I think we're transitioning to the state of the race. So let's do a recap of where we are. Super Tuesday. On the Democratic side, you need 2,383 delegates to win. Hillary Clinton currently has 1,052, and that includes 457 superdelegates. Bernie Sanders has 427, including 22 superdelegates. So there are still just over 3,200 delegates up for grabs on the Democratic side. And importantly, the Democratic race going forward continues to be one of proportional representation. Mm -hmm. So that makes... That makes it more difficult for Bernie Sanders um, because he could do very well and and grab delegates, but he's not going to have that winner-take-all potential that some right. of the Republicans are hanging their hats on. Right. I think that um, – I mean, I think her her ratio right now is higher than Obama's was in 2008, and I feel – my husband actually said this morning, he said, I feel like I'm hearing Bernie supporters say they sound just like we did in 2008. Like, it's not over. He could do this. He could do that. Um, so I've been there. I've been exactly where they are. That's all I can say. And I understand the frustration because if you back out the superdelegates, it's much closer. I do think those superdelegates could still move, but I... But I, I think it's a hard path forward, but it's still open. I mean, look, there's still over 3,000 delegates out there. So it's it's not over. And I think it's good for people to continue to really fight for their candidates. I think the tougher numbers for Bernie, more than the, the, the hard delegate count, even if you take out the superdelegates, is that the fact that he's in these, these states with high minority populations that he's really having a tough time um, breaking her support among those communities and kind of making inroads there. Um, I also should say with regards to Friday feedback, so last week I said that I felt like Bernie was often tone deaf on race and um, gender. And one of our listeners was um, rightly posted a picture of him during the civil rights movement protesting. And I should qualify that when I say tone deaf, I don't mean that he doesn't care about civil rights. I obviously Bernie Sanders has a long history with civil rights movement, but I do think you can care historically about an issue and be tone deaf to the current nuance of the debate. I think that Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright proved that point several months ago. Well, on the Republican side, you need 1,237 delegates to win. That's probably a number more people are becoming familiar with. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump currently has... Do you 300... have it tattooed somewhere, Beth? <laughs> I try not to think about it too much. I, you know, I'm getting into a little bit of a state of despair, which is not ever where I want to be. So I'm, I'm trying to stay optimistic. So Donald Trump has 319, which is a number that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, right? Like that is not as giant of a, a percentage of what you need to win as 
it seems like he would have following Super Tuesday. Ted Cruz has 226, a number that does not make me feel better about anything. Marco Rubio has 110, and John Kasich has 25. So there are still uh, just over 1,700 delegates out there on the Republican side, and we do get into winner-take-all races on the Republican side. So for both parties, there are some contests this weekend, some kind of dotted throughout next week. The big races are coming up on March 15th, where you start to get in for the Republicans to those delegate-rich winner-take-all states. And importantly, Florida and Ohio vote then, which are those are kind of seen as as real the next real gating issues for Kasich and Rubio. If you can't win your home state, John Kasich's been very honest about if I don't win Ohio, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I I appreciate that he's just being truthful about that instead of the smarmy Ted Cruz line of we think we'll do very well in Texas. And of course, he ultimately won Texas, but uh, wasn't very honest going into it. We should mention that. Ben Carson has not exactly suspended his campaign, but has said that he doesn't see a path forward and isn't going to participate in the Republican debate that's scheduled to come on tonight. So we'll see what happens with him. I don't think it matters tremendously to anyone. What I think could matter about it is what role, if any, he is drafted to play for someone else. Mm, That's an interesting point. Yeah. It's just so interesting when I look at the numbers. It's such a good reminder that he is not, it feels sort of at certain points that Donald Trump is this behemoth. And then you just look at the numbers and you're like, wow, it's still, it's still pretty spread out. You just forget that. I feel like in one of the articles, somebody said he only gets 35%, but 35% when you have five other candidates is a lot. And it just seems to be really true. I think that, you know, the next thing coming down the pike with Mitt Romney speaking today about Donald Trump is speaks to this sort of winner take all. Let's just, let's just take, you know, this, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the stupid sports analogy of the Hail Mary. Like, let's see if we could do something to shift in these winner take all states to change the race. And I guess when you do have winner take all instead of proportional, maybe something like that could happen. There seem to be two schools of thought going on about that Hail Mary right now. So one school is, let's have a unity ticket. Let's put Rubio and Cruz together. Now, I think that a lot of us would still not have much enthusiasm Mm -hmm. for that ticket, myself included. Even if you could put the two gigantic egos of those guys together. I I think you have a problem and and I think you alienate a whole bunch of people by trying to do that. Mm -hmm. It's just too cute, right? It's just too cute. And again, you know, this is something I kind of had a little Twitter rant this morning. If you think that going back to the old playbook, getting Mitt Romney out to kind of get everyone in line, putting the two establishment not even establishment, but the two somewhat reasonable United States senators together. I don't even think they're reasonable, but that, but that's where the conservative party is right now. Like we're to the point where Lindsey Graham says, gosh, maybe I'll have to hold my nose and vote for Ted Cruz. So that's, that's the universe. But if you think putting them together and giving these speeches and running a bunch of ads against Donald Trump is going to work, you just haven't been paying attention. Yeah. He, he cannot be defeated in an old way. And people want to vote for someone, not just against Donald Trump. So I think just, I think setting the stage in that way, if you're voting against Donald Trump, I think that's a losing strategy. 
It was really interesting on five, I think it was 538. I read a piece that was basically like, you know, every 40 years, give or take, we have this sort of fundamental party shift. And if you, the Republican Party seems to not want to acknowledge that that is what's happening and that whether moving forward, if somebody breaks off, which I think Beth should start her own party. I think she'd have a lot of people going with it. But I mean, they they have this death grip on we're going to salvage this and maintain what we've built over the last 20 years. And I think the sooner they acknowledge, like you said, that the ground has shifted underneath them and Donald Trump is the consequence of that. And they have, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but like you said, refusing to acknowledge that there is a really big historical shift happening within the Republican Party is not helping anybody. Well, the second, I think you're absolutely right, and the second sort of Hail Mary thought is divide and conquer. Let's let Kasich win Ohio. Let Rubio win Florida. Keep Cruz in there so nobody can get mm-hmm. the requisite number of delegates, and then we figure this out in a convention. Yeah. And I also think that is a losing strategy, <laughs> because if you figure this out in a convention, I think you're doubling down on what you just articulated, Sarah, this idea that we're going to, we, the Republican Party, the people who have been most entrenched and invested in it, are going to save ourselves like for what okay maybe to what end but maybe this like okay i'm just gonna have a little um a little fantasy moment here what if it's like lincoln team of rivals okay so he gets in there he gets into the convention i mean that's what happened with lincoln it was basically like a brokered convention and he took all the people he ran against and put them in the cabinet maybe we could have somebody like nikki haley come in and be like listen y'all i'm gonna run but i'll make you vice president and you secretary of defense and you this and you that Make it happen, Nikki Haley. I read a, a funny yet disturbing imagining of a Trump administration, what the cabinet could look like if oh, he took that team of rivals approach. And I'll try to find it again and link it in the show notes. It was very white and very male. I think mm. um, Governor Martinez was the only person of color or of of female gender who was included in that group. Um, but, but it had uh, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Ted Cruz, and Chris Christie all in different cabinet positions. And Did you feel like everybody else that Chris Christie, during, a, during the um, press conference where he stood behind Trump, there was so much internet memes and stuff that he looked basically like he was being held prisoner. Did you see that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I thought that it was... Again, a disturbing cautionary tale about the way that Donald Trump actually works. Mm. Because he took a guy who was larger than life and stood him physically behind him. Like, Christie was... It is hard to physically diminish Chris Christie. And I'm not making a weight joke. Like, Chris Christie has a persona <laughs> that is a big persona, right? Like, he he could be 100 pounds and still take up all the oxygen in a room because right. that's how he is. And Donald Trump physically diminished Chris Christie in this setting. And you could just see the regret, the humiliation. I, I called it in the essay I sent to our listeners a public stockade. I feel like that's what it was. I mm. feel like that was just Donald Trump saying... Everybody gets in line behind me. Oof. Oof. And in that same speech, he was asked about whether he could get along with Paul Ryan. 
And he said, we're going to get along great. And if not, he's going to have a huge price to pay. In the last debate, they told him about the president of Mexico's remarks that there's that Mexico will not pay for a wall. And he said, well, the wall just got 10 feet higher. And I get that people think that's funny. It's not. He is telling us over and over and over again who he is. And we should listen to him. Ooh, that's that's why Europeans quote. cannot believe what's going on over here, because Europeans mm-hmm. have a history of thinking, oh, not so bad. And then realizing, no, devastatingly bad. Hugely consequential. Mm -hmm. We should not be so arrogant as to think that can't happen in America. That's my favorite Maya Angelou quote. When people show you who they are, you should believe them. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once-daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, 
our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Paul Ryan, too. More props to Paul Ryan because I feel like he does come out at the pro, and he's being very smart about it. I sort of, I feel like he is really setting himself up to lead the party in this next phase. I hope, I hope he will just be tell Mitch McConnell to be quiet. Um, the way he comes out when it's, you know, he did it with the excluding Muslims. He's done it now with the David Duke thing and said like, for the record, this does not represent the Republican party. This is absolutely unacceptable. And I think that's smart. I'm not sure what impact it's having, but I'm glad he's doing it. I appreciate that he does it. He reminds me of the the Patty Dye thing that I refer to a lot of. You make your strong offer and detach from outcome. Mm. I feel like Paul Ryan knows that he is not going to move Trump voters. He still thinks it's important to say, you know, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that about him. Maybe I'm seeing Paul Ryan through rose-colored glasses because, my goodness, there is nothing else to see through those glasses <laughs> right now. <laughs> But I have I have long admired his approach to things. I just feel like he has this servant leadership approach. You can totally disagree with him on policy, but he works really hard. I think he really does have a heart for mm-hmm. the poor. He believes conservative principles are the way to uplift people and wants to do that. So so dislike everything about him. But I, I do really appreciate. Well, and he's like approach. the anti Ted Cruz, because no matter like. No matter his policies, you hear people in both houses be like, man, I just really like Paul Ryan. Yeah. I mean, down to a person. Even like Schumer talks about how much he likes Paul Ryan. Look, I think Paul Ryan is the best, is the best path forward for the party right now. Mm. Well, and you know what else? Speaking of Republican leadership, that really bugged me when I was thinking about Kentucky. I was thinking about that arena full of people saying that they hate establishment and they hate the way things are done. And I just want to be like, how many of y'all voted for Mitch McConnell? Just out of curiosity. Like, if you hate the way things are done, you can vote for more establishment way things are done than Mitch McConnell. Bugs me. I hope that we seem to be coming, we seem to be becoming a country of backlashes. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that the next backlash for the country is a backlash in favor of seriousness and civility. And then oh, in the Republican please. Party, a backlash of more moderate thinking. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I said to my husband over the week, like, if I wanted to run for anything, wouldn't it be interesting, not for me, probably, but for someone to oppose Mitch McConnell from the left? Yeah. Instead, because every time Mitch McConnell has had a primary challenge, it's been like, like let's go right. more extreme. I mean, yeah. you, can, you know, so it would be great within the Republican Party generally. I'm not trying to, to pick on Senator McConnell specifically, but within the party generally, it would be great to see, like, what's the other what's the flip side of the Tea Party coin? Where do you get a group of people who say, no, you know, we want to go to Washington and work with everybody and figure out how to bring about compromise, bring about some consensus platforms. What are things we can all get our arms around? I feel like people have tried to do that in pockets and then they get scared as soon as they're vulnerable in their seats. Right. Well, we're doing what we said we weren't going to do, which is spending all our time on the election. So moving on to the Supreme Court argument on the Texas abortion law, um, this case, really one of the most important to come before the Supreme Court and 
probably the most important reproductive rights case in recent history require is it's regards to a Texas law, which was passed um, in 2013. It was the law that um, Wendy Davis and her pink sneakers filibustered against, which requires doctors performing abortions to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals and other um, requires them to meet other sort of ambulatory surgical center standards. They have to have wide hallways for ambulances to get through. Um, they have to um, have sort of these sort of surgical requirements in a nutshell, which sounds reasonable. I understand. However, the reality is that it is causing almost half of the state's 41 abortion clinics to close. Um, many of these abortion clinics, for one, first and foremost, um, do uh, pharmaceutical ab- abortion pills so that there's no surgery involved. Um, they also is one of the, the, the reality is that abortion is one of the safest medical procedures you can have. Is a very, very, very low complication or transfer rate. In fact, the American Medical Association and really almost the entire medical community has come out against this law, saying that it is not only unnecessary to protect safety, but that it could increase the likelihood of um, dangerous outcomes. And more importantly, the issue between the Supreme Court is whether or not it creates an undue burden, which would make it unconstitutional on a woman's um, rights to choose because it closes all these clinics. You know, I love Full Frontal with Samantha B. She did an amazing interview with one of the, the co-sponsors of the bill that became this law. I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's amazing. It's so good. And at one point, you know, the, the she says, well, I understand, you know, you want it to be safe for these procedures. And the guy said, yeah, I mean, if you're cutting someone open, you need you need it to be like a surgical center. And she goes, yeah, you don't cut anyone open in an abortion. Mm. I mean, and she just revealed how absolutely no nothing thinking is behind this it, it is just, not it's not even pretending to be about actually keeping people safe it's just not it, what's it is most intended of, to do what's happening which is close these close clinics. abortion clinics well and then what's most offensive to me is is like they picked it's like they thought what's the most offensive justification we could come up for <laughs> to restrict reproductive rights how about women's health yeah let's do that you know so they think it's like so offensive to me that they shifted the sort of their their push to say, oh, now we're really just trying to protect the the woman in this scenario. But what I think is really great about this argument is with before the Supreme Court, and we'll link to this really great write up Slate had that um, because of the because of the death of Justice Scalia, you currently have um, let's see five men and three women on the Supreme Court. And apparently during this, the questioning, the oral argument um, section of the um, Supreme Court docket or whatever, that they, the women just sort of dominated the questioning and (laughs) uh, really got to the heart of the problem. I think it was um, Sotomayor who really pushed the Texas Solicitor General to say, so why are you passing this bill? Like, what's the point? You know, if you don't, colonoscopy centers don't need this sort of protection. Um, they have a higher complication rates. Liposuction plastic surgery centers have higher complication rates. They don't have to meet some of these requirements. And he finally came down to, oh, well, it's public concern. 
which means, no, we really want to restrict reproductive rights. People are concerned about how many abortions are being performed. Well, that's not that's not the state's interest in passing safety concerns. It's trying to re- reduce the number of these procedures. It's to protect the procedures and the safety concerns of the patients having them. So and apparently Ruth Bader Ginsburg, <laughs> there was a lot of really great write-ups about they just sort of stormed over Justice Roberts and his time limits and sort of ignored him and just went after him. And I thought, I think that that so goes to what our discussion was about identity politics. And when you have women up there asking questions about something that predominantly affects women, it's just important. It's important to have the perspective of people who understand the people affected by the law. It just is. So I was really happy to see that. I think it's really great. There are many reasons that I would be a terrible Supreme Court justice, but this case illustrates one of them, which is that I would want to write a one-sentence opinion on this. (laughs) You cannot do indirectly what you can't do directly. Mm. So ordered. Done. Like, I'm sorry that you don't like Roe versus Wade, but that's the law. Stop. Mm. Mm-hmm. And John Oliver had a really good piece oh, so on abortions, too. We'll put both of those in the they show notes. They were so but good. I, I mean, I, I understand that this is a remains a controversial decision, but stop wasting our legislative and judicial mm-hmm. branches of government on on things that are just cute efforts to skirt it that have really substantial, horrific consequences mm-hmm. for people. If you care about life, you cannot want women actually calling these clinics saying, well, here's what I have in my kitchen. Can you help me make this decision? That can't be what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I was telling a friend, I feel pretty confident that Kennedy, I hope they don't go 4-4 and it just stands. I really think Kennedy might cross over because my perception of him is that he sort of always wants a, a, an objective kind of crutch to lean on. And I think, and he asked a question, basically, isn't this law pushing people to surgical abortions and away from medical abortions when they're really safer? And to me, that is insight into the medical community's concerns. And I think that he will lean on those heavily and say, look, doctors don't think this increases the safety. This is who we should be listening to. This cre- I, I'm, I'm feeling confident. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. I probably cursed the entire thing, but... I think Kennedy will come down against the law. I hope he does. And I hope they decide it. I hope they don't remand it and keep Mm -hmm. this thing going. We'll see. We'll see. So changes abroad as well. I wanted to talk quickly about the elections in Iran. Um, I think they're very encouraging. There there was the elections of several moderates um, in their legislature, which is broken down in a very interesting way. And I'm not a foreign policy expert, so I'm not going to get into that. But... um, there seems to be consent, a small amount of consensus among foreign policy experts that um, the elections will put pressure on the supreme leader, that there, um, there are a lot of women elected, that there will be more um, moderate decisions coming out of Iran. And, then, and it seemed to be sort of a referendum on the Iranian deal, the nuclear deal, and that Iranians themselves support it, which I thought was encouraging. And I sort of wanted to reach out and be like, America, a lot of Americans do too. Please don't listen to the loudest voices in the room. Continue your march toward moderateness. There's so much interesting stuff to learn here. I, I think the characterization of the positions is interesting because they don't have a party system. Yeah. I also think their interest in 
uh, a government modeled after China versus a Western democracy is really interesting. This sort of slow progress, um, not completely open, but moving more in that direction. I mean, that that's a hard thing to read for a U.S. citizen, I think. Mm-hmm. But but it is interesting to think about. And I think it's uh it's good for us to know, especially as we all struggle through what is the United States role in the world. I feel like we have collectively uh, backed off this desire to like go forth and spread Western democracy everywhere. And I think that's a, a good consensus yeah. view. Um, but certainly we need to understand what's happening in other countries better to settle on a new role. Well, and the other thing we wanted to talk about quickly was the refugee crisis that continues. Really disturbing news coming out of France. They um, evicted an entire refugee camp in Calais. And I just, every time I hear about these sort of just evictions or shutting down the camps, I just think, where are these people going to go? And I know that this is a very popular um platform for Donald Trump. And it just, it disturbs me how often I talk to people and they're like, no, absolutely don't let them in. They they have to, they need a place to go. These are human beings that don't have anywhere to go. And it's just, it keeps getting worse in Europe. I feel like there's such a backlash there. Um, I was really encouraged. I think Canada has, um, I read a, heard a really great story about Canada. They, they pledged to take, I think 25,000 Canadian refugees by by January 2016 or something, and they did extend it one month. But through these really private public partnerships, have been able to take almost that exact amount of refugees and churches and all these community organizations work together to bring them in. It's been really great. I think that layering desperation on top of more desperation is a bad thing, and and that's what I keep thinking about with these refugee stories. These people were forcibly evicted from their country. You know, they want to be in their homeland and they cannot be. And then for us to treat them in Europe, like, uh, potential criminals and lesser thans and in the United States, like they're not even worthy of coming into the country. Mm-hmm. It just really, really concerns me that, exactly. that, that it's a situation that is not going to be contained. It's not. So we have to figure out our way through it instead of trying to erect physical and metaphorical walls around it. It just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very scary. This, this is not going to go away. We, we must solve this problem, not avoid it. Definitely. All right. Well, that seems like not exactly an uplifting note to end on, but well, and before, don't worry, we have the Republican debate tonight to uplift us all. That's right. And, and one more thing I wanted to mention, because I am concerned about these stories not being mentioned, is that in Middletown, Ohio, this mm. week, four students were injured in a school cafeteria when a 14-year-old brought a gun to school. And fortunately, no one was killed. But I just feel that it's important to keep talking about these things and not let them get lost in the news cycle. So again, Absolutely. we have a Republican debate tonight. We'll, we'll probably try to say some funny things on Twitter so that none of us cry, but, um, but we do <laughs> we'll, want to we'll have already passed stories. by the time that this, this airs on Friday, but we'll be there. Um, or we were there, I guess is the appropriate thing <laughs> to say, um, as the race moves forward with our awesome, awesome, awesome Twitter community that are really keeping, um, all the, we're keeping each other sane. I think it is really a, a community effort. So um, thank you all for joining us. Again, if you can rate and review us on iTunes, we'd be so appreciative. 
And until Tuesday's show, keep it nuanced, y'all. <laughs>